Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Every week, I like to talk about sometimes a rather strange and obscure subjects. This week, it's Lucas on how to walk on water. Have you ever tried it? Well, I have, inspired by that wonderful Bible story, one of my favourites, where Peter jumped out of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus, who was already out there on the waves. I thought, I'd like to give it a try. Staying at a rather deserted hotel with a swimming pool, I decided to see if I could make it work. And so I put my swimming trunks on because faith without works is dead, went and stood on the side of the pool. And after muttering a rather brief prayer and quoting a Bible verse or two, I stepped out onto the water and I sank. You knew that. How to walk on water, or maybe how to avoid it. Here, Lucas on Life, Premier Christian Radio. I know it's a rather strange topic this week, how to walk on water. It only lasted a few seconds, but Peter surely recalled that episode countless times, shaking his head perhaps at the remembrance of it. Peter saw so many mind-boggling sights during his three-year walk with Jesus. Milky white, opaque, sightless eyes suddenly focused, seeing colours and shapes for the very first time. And then a stinking corpse, already rancid in the Mediterranean heat, coming to life at a word. And then Lazarus, the former corpse, sitting down for the most unusual supper party in the history of supper parties. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. Madmen driven insane by tormenting spirits were delivered suddenly in their right mind and even wanting to join the Jesus team. And then there was the transfiguration, a ringside seat into a time warp as Moses and Elijah appeared before them for a pre-Calvary conversation with Jesus and, even more epic, a glimpse of his true glory on that mountaintop. But then there was that one unforgettable night for Peter where faith and fear wrestled within him. Fear ultimately triumphed in the tussle, but he'd still experienced a possibility of impossibility. For a few seconds at least, he'd walked on water. That was miracle enough, it being incomprehensible that anybody could stride across even a mill pond flat watery surface. But the disciples' tiny boat was battling through a major windstorm with mountainous waves towering over them. Four miles of exhausting rowing had afforded little progress, and understandably, they were afraid. If that wasn't enough, suddenly they caught sight of what looked like a spectre striding across the boiling waves, heading straight towards them. They were very afraid. And then, once the terrifying figure had come close enough for them to recognise him as Jesus, Peter came up with a ridiculous idea, absurd in the extreme. Jesus knows how to walk on waves. Peter would like to try that too. How about inviting me into the miracle, Lord? Invite me. And so Jesus did. What did it feel like for Peter to swing first one leg and then the other over the edge of the boat and to settle a foot on the churning water only to discover that it felt firm underfoot? 
Did he hesitate for a few seconds, his mind screaming that this couldn't really be happening? But somehow he rested his weight fully on what could never support his weight at all. And now he was walking towards Jesus. Was it a sudden fierce gust of wind that changed everything and snatched defeat from the jaws of victory? Or did he look down like a man trembling on a tightrope high above an abyss, the buffeting of the wind in his face, the sight of the churning waters? He was very afraid and began to sink. Cold water engulfed him as reality came rushing back. Jesus caught him and gently reproached him for his doubt. Peter didn't drown and instead climbed back into the boat with Jesus. And that's where those of us who preach usually leave the story. Excitedly, we invite our listeners to get out of their boats, figuratively speaking. Take a risk, we say. Do what you can't do. Stretch yourself. Break out of your comfort zone. But look around that boat. Look past Peter, still dripping wet. There sits the rest of Jesus' team, including Thomas, famous for doubt. Okay, so perhaps you didn't expect him to go for a stroll on the deep. But then look closer, because also sitting in the boat are impetuous hotheads like James and John, those jumpy sons of thunder who had suggested Jesus nuke a Samaritan village. And there's Andrew sitting over there by the oars, brother to Peter, who might have thought that if his sibling could do something, he'd at least like to give it a try too. But the fact is that while Peter walked on water, the others didn't. They stayed put and earned no rebuke for doing so. The vital key for would-be wave surfers is this. Peter jumped ship, literally, because Jesus told him to do so. John Altberg helps clarify this in observing that this story is more about obedience than it is about risk-taking. Peter is responding to a command. Therefore, we are to discern the difference between the authentic call of God from our own mere impulses. As John Altberg says in his excellent book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, Matthew is not glorifying risk-taking for its own sake. Jesus is not looking for bungee-jumping, hang-gliding, day-trading, tornado-chasing pinto divers. This is not a story about extreme sports. It's about extreme discipleship. And so, would-be water walkers, let's realise that this is not just about adventure. It's about obedience. We're thinking about how to walk on water and realising that although Peter made the suggestion to Jesus that he might get out of the boat, it was in obedience to a command from Jesus and not just a good idea in Peter's head. Peter only got out of the boat that day, that night, because he was commanded to. We can't do anything we want to do, but only that which is commanded by Jesus. Where his command is not, our limits are. Now I can hear someone immediately protest. The Apostle Paul announces, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There you have it, all things, anything. But look again. Bluntly, you and I, we can't do anything. I can't fly without tickets, give birth to twins, play the bassoon or speak Cantonese. If it's Christ who strengthens me, that means that he will surely only strengthen me to fulfill his calling in my life. Instead of constantly telling people that they can do anything, perhaps at times we should teach more about us knowing our limits and spheres. And look at Paul's personal situation when he said, I can do all things. He was under house arrest. 
He was living within enforced limits. He's talking about living contentedly within limits, not busting out of them. The man who said he could do all things couldn't go out for an unaccompanied stroll at that point in his life. But we're so soaked in possibility thinking, and it's not just in the church that we hear this call to do what we can't do. Walt Disney is generally given the credit for the you-can-do-anything mantra, if you can dream it, you can do it. Though he didn't actually say that, an employee did. And Depression-era self-help author Napoleon Hill was said to have come up with the phrase, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. It's a lie, and it's frequently touted. Graduating high school students are often told that they can do anything they dream. It can be a relief when somebody actually tells the truth. David McCullough, an English teacher, told graduating seniors in Wellesley High School in Massachusetts, you are not special, you are not exceptional. His speech went viral. Kyle Worley is equally blunt. He said, growing up in America, children consistently hear that they can be anything they want to be. This promise is usually accompanied by thoughts of grandeur and extraordinary success. Our ambitions and hopes are educated on the premise that to settle for the ordinary, which is often equated with what is boring and indicative of a past and inferior time, is just beneath us. This hope of becoming something extraordinary trickles down from the rafters of our dreams where we dwelt as children into the basement of our hearts where adults go to think about what could have been and prepare a path to projecting their fallen dreams onto their fallen children. We drift into the twilight zone of self-deception when we're constantly told to step out, do what we can't do, go beyond the limit. It's actually good to know what we can't do. The call to get out of the boat and walk on water is attractive, but sometimes we need to encourage people to grab hold of the oars and stay put, and not least for this reason. When we step out beyond our capacity, we can create carnage. So how can we avoid stepping out of the boat and drowning when we're not doing so because Jesus is beckoning? One way is to be very sober in self-assessment. Hear the Apostle Paul again, who says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You can read it in Romans 12, verse 3. One Greek expositor says that this is a call for us to recognize our limits and respect them. In other words, let's not pretend to be more than we are. Recognize your God-given abilities and use them, but when you come to the edge of your limitations, be willing to say, This is too much for me. And let's ask God for the wisdom to know the difference between a comfort zone and a sphere. We should be willing to step out of the first and be hesitant to go beyond the boundaries of the second. When we step out of a comfort zone, it's an act of faith. When we step beyond a sphere, it's an act of foolishness. At the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tried to nudge his disciples out of their comfort zone with the words, you give them something to eat. They didn't understand what he was saying and they missed a golden opportunity. When Peter stepped out of the boat, he was stepping out of a comfort zone. But when he sliced off the high priest's servant's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane, he stepped out of his sphere, becoming a mercenary rather than a disciple. Similarly, he tried to act as advisor to Jesus in suggesting that he should never go to the cross. He stepped beyond his sphere and got a good telling off for doing so. Get behind me, Satan, is certainly a firm rebuke. 
And then our friends can also help us in discerning our limits as we nurture truth-telling relationships. Once upon a time, many years ago, I was an occasional worship leader. Thankfully, the day came when a trusted but unsubtle friend told me that worship leading was not really my primary gift and that the body of Christ would probably let out a collective sigh of relief if I would pack my guitar away for good. Looking back, I'm glad he spoke up, although I wasn't really too thrilled at the time. But recognising what I couldn't do was a painful but enlightening step onto the pathway of discovering what I could do. The wounds of a friend are faithful, if not always welcome. Today, you might want to walk on water, but before you hop overboard, you might consider the possibility that it may be far better for you, and for others around you too, to just stay in the boat. Lucas on Life.